Hello and welcome to the Just In Stride podcast. I'm your host, Justin Pugliese. If you love endurance sports, you've definitely come to the right place. On this show, we'll talk to athletes, coaches, and professionals who can help us reach our true potential. Being a student of distance running for over 10 years and interviewing people in the sport for the last five, I've learned a ton, but there's always more to discover. Everyone has a story, and I know you'll resonate with each of our guests as we embark on this new journey together. Join us at home, on the road, or while you run. Together, we'll have some fun. So follow along on Instagram at JustInStridePod and your favorite podcast platform and prepare to be inspired. Come along for the ride with Just In Stride. This episode is presented by our friends at Exact Nutrition, a tasty and healthy way for you to fuel your body before, during, and after a solid training session. I can't leave the house without a few fruit bars in my pocket and they never make it back home. Exact is offering you 15% off your order when you use the code JUSTINSTRIDE. So head to exactnutrition.com and fuel your goals today. To set a goal and pour your life into it is something I've always admired about endurance athletes. For many professional runners, the Olympics is the ultimate achievement. The chance to be amongst the best in the world, compete in a world-class event, and to put on your country's colors is an opportunity of a lifetime. On today's episode of Justin Stride, we get a pro's perspective with elite marathoner Rory Linkletter. Rory found running through school and really never looked back. As he progressed, he realized there were opportunities for him in the sport and had the drive to succeed. Today, he's one of the fastest Canadian distance runners there is. Training full-time in Flagstaff with coach Ryan Hall by his side, he's had an impressive stretch of races, all leading up to the Seville Marathon in February, where he hopes to put together his best performance yet and crack the Canadian Olympic team. Rory, welcome to the Justin Stride podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, I hear you just got out of a workout. Uh, what was that um, today? Yeah, so first workout after the Houston half marathon uh, is 10 by K off 90 seconds rest, not knowing how the legs were going to feel. We kind of left the pace up in the air, but ended up settling into a pretty good rhythm by the end. And uh, yeah, just kind of a surprisingly good session post-race. So happy that the, the legs are healthy and that my energy's back post-race. Is it... Is it a typical feeling that you have post-race? Is every race different for you? Like, how is that? How do the legs feel in comparison to other, you know, recovery periods? Yeah, yeah. Half marathons generally don't beat me up too, too much. Like, it's not like you know, you run a marathon and your legs are absolutely toast for at least five or six days. Usually, the better part of two weeks. But uh, for a half. Usually it's like very moderate, like second day soreness, you know, doms and stuff, just, uh, just, just figuring out that. And I had a few like tender spots, but not nothing, uh, that felt injured. And that's, that's the big thing, um, coming out of this race, going into the final phase of a marathon build is like, let's just make sure we're not injured. Felt great. Uh, my last two days of easy running and today was kind of like the last box you check to make sure your body's good because sometimes you can feel good running easy but you open up the stride you access the tissue a bit more and uh yeah it can tell you tell you a little bit more about where you're actually at and things were positive today so nice and you're out in arizona have that right flag flagstaff arizona yep and how long you know you're a fellow canadian 
Uh, I'm from Montreal, so I love having Canadians on for sure. And how long have you been out there training and how has that impacted, you know, your, your career until now? Yeah, Flagstaff is awesome. I moved out here in 2019, uh, right after I finished university at, at BYU. Um, and it's been a really cool place to be a pro because it's it's kind of a culture here. It is kind of just a mecca of professional, world-class, international, national-level runners just all over the place, right? So obviously the altitude is the reason why people come here. The weather's pretty good too. So that's another draw is like, you know, it is winter right now. So it's January, but we're able to work out outside, uh, hit paces, you know, have good footing, things like that. Most of the time, you know, if we get slammed with a snowstorm, there's usually like a 48 hour period where we have to kind of think fast or drop an altitude to go find clear roads. But, uh, today was, we just stayed up, um, cranked it out up here and, and yeah, it's just, it's just such a cool city to, to live and train in. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. I could see myself being here for, you know, my entire running career and maybe even post running just because it's kind of feels like home already. Nice. That's amazing. And that's kind of what you want when you move to a new place. You know, I, I've, I've recently moved this past year. It's been a year I've been in, in Switzerland now and, you know, it takes you a while to get used to your surroundings and what you know, what's around you and the, you know, the culture that's a bit different. Um, did, was it a noticeable difference in your training? Is there something you can pinpoint that really um, helps you take your, your running career to the next level? Cause you moved there for a reason for sure. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So when I first moved here, I moved here to join Northern Arizona elite. Uh, and now I'm no longer with that group, but there was a huge shift in how I trained because I went from NCAA, BYU to post-collegiate professional running team, Hoka Northern Arizona Elite. Now I'm with Ryan Hall, sponsored by Puma. And the biggest differences are what I'm training for and who's who's writing my training, right? Um, in college, you're pretty much, because of classes and the race schedule, it's like every Tuesday is a workout, every Thursday is a workout, Saturday is a long run, whatever it is, like your schedule is pretty set because as a college student, you need that stability. As a professional athlete, you can kind of tweak the formula as much as or as little as you want based on your needs and your coach's preference. And under Ryan, uh, the biggest difference is we don't really follow any rules on what a week looks like. Like the day I work out, day a long run those things it's purely based on recovery windows and all that stuff like i don't have like a a work week structure it's just week to week day by day uh very flowy training and it's uh i like that a lot uh it wouldn't work for everyone obviously if this wasn't my full-time job this like instability of of the schedule would be a problem but given the circumstances of this being my primary job and also just what I'm here for. So it's, it's very fun to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And what would you say? Cause I'd say most people follow like on Wednesdays, they do, a, you know, workout like for a marathon training. Anyways, they follow a very similar path, you know, workouts, very easy runs, very number of days, very also, but for yourself, I've actually never heard that like where you have so much flexibility in, in your training and maybe it, for people listening, when they think of professional, they think, yeah, this is 
like regimented and disciplined and you know what you're doing, you know, every day for the next till that till that day comes. So where like the real benefits for you to have that uh, in your plan and like when do you decide to do what? Yeah, so Ryan writes my training once a week usually. So it is kind of a weekly schedule, but what I mean by like we don't like like there's no I can't predict like if my long run's going to be on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It could be any of those days because he just doesn't have like a flow of training that is uh, super predictable. It's like often like what's the next stimulus we need and what makes sense in the time frame we need. Like uh, for example, this week I'm long running on Saturday. Next week I would bet you it's going to be on like a Friday or Thursday because we don't generally try to space it out exactly a week, especially in marathon training. It's like it's usually like a long run, uh, a speed workout or a threshold workout that's like complementary or above and below distance like specificity and then it's back to marathon and then it's back to this so it's like it depends on the the quality of the workout or the intensity of the workout like some workouts warrant two days easy in between some weren't one so it's just kind of like a well what are we hitting and what do we need to hit do we need to hit some uh threshold work some long threshold work is it just like a small hit to, like today i did 10 by k for me that's a short workout so it's like that's just focused on recovery coming off the race had i done 15 by k or something bigger then it's like well this workout needs a different recovery window than a 10 by k cruisy workout so Mm -hmm. it really is just like what's the stimulus what does the stimulus need to recover from so and it's pretty flexible with ryan like sometimes he'll change his mind you know (laughs) Like, like it's 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 uh and Again, that wouldn't work if you were, you know, stuck to a uh, school or work schedule that that made it so you kind of had to know what days you were going to do what. Yeah. Yeah. Did you always think you were going to go pro and do this professionally, like full time, like you're doing now? It was always a goal. um, But in this world, opportunities aren't always abundant. And I've been fortunate to find myself in opportunities where I could continue to make this my job throughout the last five years, at least. So out of school, I had an opportunity to move here and join Northern Arizona Elite. And then when I left Northern Arizona Elite, to be honest, I was under the impression that I was taking a big risk and I may not find that pro stability, you know, contract, uh, option again because i left one on the table like i left hoka and i didn't have puma lined up at the time it was like i'm gonna take this uh approach of like let's see what i can do finding the situation that makes me feel like i can run my best and then see if the sponsorship and the uh professional opportunities follow and luckily for me it it did quickly so i had a really good transition to working with ryan and I was only without a contract for like four and a half months. So mm-hmm. um, that's pretty quick turnaround in this world, especially if you know how slow uh, a lot of shoe companies can move with these discussions. And and yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I got pretty fortunate and I'm sitting here in a position where I feel like I'll be good for a good amount of time and I've been running well. So I'm, I'm happy with, with what I did and where I'm at. Yeah, I mean when you look at challenges in life, sometimes you, you don't know how in the moment, how you'll get out of it or how you'll 
get the next thing or, you know, you face uh, times of uncertainty, but then you look back and you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Or you took action here and it leads you to that path. What was the reason for the change and how do you, how do you choose a coach uh, when you're at your level? You know, there's, the resources are there, you know, uh, there's a lot of good coaches out there too. Um, so I know you're happy with the situation you're in now, but how did you get to that point? Yeah. So with Northern Arizona elite, uh, when I first got here, it was an awesome fit for me immediately out of college as I was learning how to be a marathoner and transition from track cross country to the roads. And I did some track still, and I still do some track to this day, but I knew I wanted to be a marathoner and that group is and was uh, at the time the best best thing going for a, a pro road running group. And so I joined it and I was really happy with what I learned in those. I think I was with them for two and a half years and now I've been with Ryan for just over two years. But in that time, I kind of found myself after about 18 months having a a decline in performances and self-confidence. And, you know, when that starts to happen, you start to get into this cycle of thinking where, you know, am I the cause of this? Is this my situation? Is the situation what fits best me, for me? And of, of course, I went uh, through the correct avenues of talking with my coach at the time, Ben Rosario, and, uh, you know, analyzing my own self in that moment. And basically, I was like, I don't think this atmosphere is conducive for me as an athlete. And that was a hard decision to make because I really loved uh, the team and the teammates I had there and the stability that I had there. It was a really good setup, but I knew I needed something different. And so then I started the thought process of, well, what, if not this, then what you have to have a backup plan, right? You have to have the transition where, where are you going to go from here? And I, came to this conclusion that I wanted somebody in Flagstaff and I wanted somebody that had been where I want to go. And so it really dwindled itself down really quickly. Ryan popped up really fast in my head because Ryan Hall, he's a, he's a legend in our sport. Uh, he's run 204 for the marathon. He's run 59 for the half marathon and he's kind of a larger than life figure in our sport. He's a, he's a superstar. So I knew I would be attracted to that, that piece. And then I reached out to him to talk and, and we had a, uh, a really positive interaction. And I was like, let's take this leap of faith. And, uh, basically right away, I realized like it was a really, really good decision for me as an athlete because he's his personality and mine, I think mesh really well. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for him. So I have a, I, I'm, I'm like a bold headed athlete. So it, it helps me to, to have an, a coach that I like almost have to surrender this like amount of respect to, because I just, I just totally admire and respect him so much that how could I not take his uh, advice and trust it? Because he's been through so much. He's, he's done so much in this sport. So it just, it just, it worked. And, uh, personality wise, he's brought a lot out of me that I'm really proud of. And I think I'm at the best place I could have asked for myself to be in two years time removed from making that decision. And, uh, I feel like it was a home run choice for me. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it. I mean, that's amazing. It's, uh, you're super passionate about your sport and also, you know, you're going to put the work in, you need the best advice possible. And it sounds like 
he found that in Ryan. So, so what did he bring out in you? Would you say what, what characteristics who are, who is Rory? Yeah, I think he brought out like what I've always wanted to be, which is a fierce racer, a confident person. Like, I feel like I lost like my swagger a little bit there for a bit. And, uh, he's just really dialed into like the mental side of our sport. Like a lot of distance coaches, whether it be their personalities or uh, the difficulty of just like tapping into each individual athlete's needs, just don't cover that side of the sport that often, you know, don't really get into the, to the brain of the athlete and, and try to help pull everything out of them. And Ryan's the kind of guy that like, I can be in the hardest workout of my life, you know, grinding it out. And he knows exactly what to say to me to get me like back on track, focused, dialed in. And he, he just, he's like a, he's almost like a, a calming presence that has, he's been able to teach me more so like how to be an athlete than, than like specific workouts. Like the workouts are good, but I think most coaches have great workouts, right? Like most coaches do things pretty well. We're all doing very similar things with slight tweaks. It's like the, the most subtle differences. Um, so it's more so what he brings to me as like a, as an individual than it is what he brings to me as like an athlete. So he's just like full of like wisdom guidance and, uh, like the right energy at practice like he's never too high never too low he always knows what to say and he's he's happy he's positive and i i feed really well into a very like positive atmosphere mm -hmm. that's amazing so good i mean and that's exactly what you need you know, that, that voice that's going to get you through the tough times you know and uh you know the workouts you guys are doing and you know the book's written on the workouts like you were saying uh, a lot of the athletes are doing similar stuff, but it's those subtleties. How did, how would you say, like, how has your mental game improved? Is it noticeable? Cause I mean, mental, we cannot see, we can see you run a workout. We can see you, um, in races, but like mentally, is there something that you practice? Is there, are there mottos? Are there cues? Is it form? Is there, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. I don't think it's anything that like I could like write a book on and tell you like this is what I learned working <laughs> with with Ryan Hall or whatnot. But I will say, for whatever reason, uh, in my previous situations, both in college and my first professional running setup, sometimes I would have great training, be healthy, show up to the race, and it just wouldn't work. Like, and I couldn't figure out that part. Like, I was like, how do I feel good in training? Feel like I'm hitting the workouts show up to the race and just fall flat on my face. Like that creates like a lot of doubt and uncertainty. And with Ryan, every time I've showed up to a start line healthy and fit, I've done well. Like it's like even like the bad, the bad race under those circumstances is at least at the level where I'm like proud of my efforts. Like I haven't had like a fall flat on your face moment under Ryan. And I think it just instills more confidence in what we're doing. And through like the way he talks you through things, it's like, I just showed up to the start line the first time I ever raced under him. And he was like, dude, you can do it. Like, and it just meant a lot coming from him. Like, just like telling me like, here's the plan and I know you can do it. And I think he thinks larger than most, uh, 
Western coaches. That's what I'm going to use because I don't know what's going on in uh, with coaching in Kenya or Ethiopia or Japan for that matter. But I know a lot of the European, Canadian, and and American coaches. And I think Ryan just thinks so much bigger without like making it like a pressure thing. Like he's like, he was at such a high level that like he, he'll almost like downplay like how hard something is. He's like, yeah, so what? Like you can do this. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Like it's, it, it's comforting in a way because it's like, you can put your performance on a pedestal. Like, oh, this goal is so scary. Like the Olympic standard or running this time on the track or whatnot but he can like kind of bring it down to a level that it's like, it's pretty simple. And if you've taken the logical steps, you should be able to do it. Right. So it's just like, it's the talking you through the anxieties and the fears around racing. Yeah. It, it, uh, yeah. It sounds like that. He sells it to you a bit, you know, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but I can do it. Like no problem. Been there, done yeah. that, you know, like, yeah. And, like said, and that I, only works if when he tells you, you can do something and you go out and do it that builds that trust. Right. So he's never told me I can do something and then me fail. So like now I trust him. If he thinks I can do it, then I, then he must be right. Like, cause I don't know. Right. Like I hope I know. And I, and as I get older, I have more trust in myself. So maybe it's just my own personal development, but mm-hmm. I don't know, Hey, this workout means I'm ready to run a 61 minute half. Like I know like relatively I'm running the paces that are the same in the race, but you got to put it together. So having him be able to tell me once and then me produce the result after the fact and continue to do that, then it's like, okay, if he thinks I can do it, he says it. And in the past that's been true, then I can trust him. So it's, Mm -hmm. and so that's what I feel like it's built on. Sure. Uh, where would you say your confidence level is now uh, in comparison to where where it had gotten? Yeah, um, I would say right now I've stacked together a good stretch of the last six months and it's building on itself. So it, as you have momentum, I find it easier and easier to see that mountaintop, see the peak and see that you can get there. You know, when you're when you haven't done anything recently that mountaintop seems so tall, right? But as you accomplish one step towards it, one goal here and there, then it, you know, the clouds clear and you, and you can see that mountaintop and you're like, okay, I'm not that far. Like it's just, just up here. So, um, right now I feel like I'm right here. It's an arm's reach. I just have to keep my head down, take one step at a time, stay super present in where I'm at and just come, uh, Seville next month be super on my game and just execute. I think it's a matter of just not letting the moment be too large and just executing at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I saw you announce that recently and I thought that was really cool and also shared some, like some key workouts that you like to do prior to a half prior to a full. And I thought that was, you know, interesting insight, you know, where you're talking about specific workouts and if uh, like as indicators uh, are those the ones that, that you're go to and that give you the full confidence going into races? I think it was a uh, six mile for the, was that, am I correct in saying that six mile for the half? And then yeah, 10 mile yeah we did a six mile, mile tempo yeah. at like roughly goal half pace. And that was pretty close. I ran maybe two seconds slower per mile in Houston, but the conditions weren't as good 
as they were on that workout day. So it's one of those where it's like, man, if I would have gotten like a little less wind, would I have been right on what I was at in that workout? And I think the answer is probably, but you know, you can only like the environment is a huge factor in performance, but I think it, it was at least like a fair, uh, you know, representation of my fitness. And then for the marathon, I think if you're thinking of what I'm thinking of is the marathon simulation run, which is where you do, uh, you know, 10 to 12 miles fatiguing your legs at a moderate effort. And then you run eight to 10 miles at marathon effort. And that one went really well. And that one actually was probably the best workout I've had, um, of that kind ever by, by a good margin. So it was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in good marathon shape. Like that's a workout that you can't fake because you're tired, tired legs, end of a week, you're 12 miles into a long run when you start it. And I'm on Lake Mary road, you know, not an easy place to run. So if I'm doing well there, then I should be doing even better in a race environment tapered, uh, in Seville, which is as I, as I've been told the flattest European marathon. So we'll see if, if it's as advertised. Yeah, I saw you mention that in your video. I thought that was really cool. And um, yeah, Spain would be a beautiful place to race. What makes uh, Mary Road so special? Lake Mary Road is just special because of all the people that have come before us and and worked out on it and made themselves elite athletes on it. Like Ryan Hall, my coach, used to do workouts out there. And it's just very measurable, right? Like if you've become you know, uh, a Flagstaff local and you've done, I've probably done a hundred plus workouts on Lake Mary road. At this point, I can't fake Lake Mary road. It, <laughs> it tells me everything. It reveals all your, all your, uh, fears, anxieties, deepest, darkest secrets, you know, your, all, all that stuff. It, it's just very revealing because of the fact that we have so much experience with it. So, and we know all the great runners that have, that have done well, and what they've done on that road. So it's, yeah, it's just a, it's just a great baseline and it is a beautiful place to train. It's a tough place to train. So it's like, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like New York. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's the New York city of running. Um, yeah, it's I read... the New York city of, of threshold work. <laughs> yeah. I read in, uh, in one of the articles that I found that Budapest, I think is the smartest you ran. Do you think you've ran it smarter since then? Maybe in the half marathon that you just that you just pulled off? Um, I ran tougher in the half marathon because I had to end up doing a lot of it alone. <laughs> so I was forced to make a lot of tough, uh, have a lot of tough miles in there um, just due to the fact that the race played out that way. But I still think because the marathon is such a, a, a mind game and a, and a chess match of like execution and pacing and fueling and all of the little things, I think that the marathon makes you race really well with your brain and with your with your planning and strategy, whereas the half is more of like a uh, a test of fitness. You just have to be able to grind uh, at a very fast pace for an hour. Um, you don't have to be super super locked into your pace. You don't have to be super locked into your body as much. The marathon, especially in those that heat and humidity that we had in Budapest. And the amount of things that were going on, you know, just with it being the world championships, you know, you have, you can make so many decisions out there. And the fact that I felt really confident that I made the right decision at most moments in the race, when the decision was presented to myself, that's what I'm really proud of. It's that performance is it's like, 
I had to make a lot of tough decisions out there and uh, was able to run a really, really strong performance in those circumstances. What were the what were the main you're talking about decisions that you're making? Are any of them that stick out in your mind? Like that if you you think if you did it went a different way, it would have gone differently for you? Is that kind of what you're insinuating? Yeah. So like early on deciding not to go with a certain group because they were running faster than I thought I could run in those conditions, and then trusting that a lot of people were gonna come back to you. So I think at half marathon I was in sixty-fifth place if I'm not mistaken, something like that. And I finished 19th. Um, so knowing, Hey, a lot of people are going to fall apart. This is the right pace right here for you on this day with these conditions. And then also at like 10 miles, I kind of felt like this itch to, to push a little bit and that's a little early to push, but I decided to push. I was running before that, probably like 308, 309, 310 Ks. And then Uh, I started running like 305, 306, 307, you know, just like sprinkling like a little bit more speed in there. And I think I had the strongest middle portion of of a marathon that I've ever run. And generally that's a weak spot for me is the middle of the race because, you know, you've been out there a while, uh, you don't feel good anymore and you still have a long ways to go. So it's really easy to, to kind of have that be a weak point in the race. And I feel like from uh, 15 to 35 K I ran perfect. So the first 10, first 15 K I was pretty conservative. And then the last seven K I, I was really proud of my grit because obviously every marathon gets hard that last bit. And I kind of just stayed really focused on the battles I had in front of me. And I could tell that my legs were on the brink of like something could go wrong at any moment. Like, you know, just heat, humidity, and the, the, the pounding of the race, like I felt like my hamstring was like close to seizing and cramping, but like I was able to like find that stride length, that stride power output that was just right mm-hmm. for my fitness for the day. And I was able to like, just hold on really well and not like have any like really bad moments. Like it was like my pace variability was very tight and that's usually a sign that you emptied the tank and manage your efforts really well. Like I was slowly slowing down the last 5k, but it was like so gradual. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It wasn't some like drastic drop off where you're like, okay, shit, you know, maybe I wasn't as fit as I thought, or I went out too hard or all these things. But I think what, like what you're saying, it just, you know, even though you're at the level that you're at, it's still super relatable because it is the marathon and so much can go wrong. It's all relative to pacing. But like when you talk about going out kind of conservative, I think that's a, big lesson for just anybody running wanting to run a marathon because there's just there's so much time to kind of make up places or or to try and finish strong because the battle is really on the latter part of that that type of event i I would say i've learned through time that like it's always better to feel a little bit comfier than be a little bit ahead of schedule or a little bit faster even in seville when it's so clearly for me a time trial trying to run an exact time or better I still think the principle of just seeing how relaxed and how easy you can make it and how little you can push for the first 25K at least is is the same. I just have to find absolute calmness and energy conservation for 25, 30K. And then you can start like 
assessing your body and taking some risks at that point if you Mm -hmm. feel like you're you need to but even then like if you're going for a strict time and you're on pace and you feel good i would say just keep feeling good (laughs) you know what i mean like like that's just one of those things where it's like i'm gonna have to make decisions that are like calculating risk the whole time sure and but doesn't it become increasingly like for me i'll go run a marathon i don't run anywhere close to your speed but like you know 245 is my best but you know you guys you there's that risk too of like if you want to go out a little easier than the the pack that you want to be with like it's it's pack dependent sometimes too right like is that a difficult decision to make at times you're like i want to be comfy but if i hang on here maybe that pushes me over the edge or like there's this line of you know do i run my own race or do i try and push here because i know it's going to level off at some point yeah, you have to, that's, those are the decisions. Those are the, those are the scary decisions. That's what execution is on race day for the marathon, especially at the elite level. We've seen people do really remarkable things by making the decision to let a group go. And we've seen people be too aggressive and need to stay in a group and then pop really, really bad uh, at the end of races. So in theory, the group is the best solution if the group is doing the things that are conducive for the time you're trying to run. So for the Olympic standard, like let's say in Seville, it, the pacing is super erratic for some reason. And it could be. This is something I have to be prepared for. Do I want to run a 259K, 258K, back-to-back, uh, 8 to 10K if I know my pace is closer to 302 303 per k do i or do i spot three or four seconds and hope that they settle back and they come back to me like is it okay to let five seconds gap form in a couple k knowing that hey i've got a lot of time like just like kind of like if if they're gonna surge i'm gonna surge less aggressively and i think that's what i've done in my best marathons is like people human nature in these marathons especially at the elite level is like there's surges all the time that you wouldn't know if you were really just like dialed in, like that they're even happening. If you weren't paying attention, you could yeah. totally just sucked in to surges that you didn't even know were happening. So it's about like, do I stay super present and locked in or do I kind of just like read the cues and just uh, buy my time? And I feel like for me personally, energy conservation has been the secret to my success in the marathon. But two best marathons I've ever run. I had moments where I was like, Oh, am I getting dropped here? And then all of a sudden, like two K later, you're back in the group and you're like, Oh no, they were just like unrealistically quick because the fluid station was coming up and they sped up for it so that they could get in position. And I stayed the same, got my bottle, got out uh, unscathed and then caught back up a K later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, I just, you got to trust your judgment too, you know, at, at the end of the day, it it happens so quickly uh, when you're in it, I'm sure, but it's good that you kind of follow that intuition and, you know, le- experience has kind of led you to this point. And, and I'm sure Ryan helps you with all that stuff too. Um, I want to get, I want to talk more about, you know, the standard and, and all that, but I also want to go a bit back to the beginning for you, Rory, you know, like what kind of kid were you? Were you always a runner? What kind of, you know, were you an active kid or, you know, were your parents into running or, you know, how does that look? 
Yeah, I'm the first runner in my family. Okay. Absolutely on both sides of my family. Nobody even recreationally ran, yet alone competitively or anything. And my story for finding running, first off, I was a huge sporty as a kid, just loved every sport you could possibly imagine. And I still do to this day. Sports are my passion, um, ball sports, mostly, you know, football, basketball, mm-hmm. baseball, hockey when I was younger. But as I've kind of grown, I've kind of been Americanized. I love American football. I love basketball. <laughs> nice. You know, those are kind of my two bread and butter at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, sport has always been super important to me. So when I got to high school, I knew I wanted to do a sport for the high school. And I was a really, really small kid. Like, I mean, like a late bloomer, tiny, tiny. And I'm not that anymore amongst my peers, you know, marathoner. I'm actually quite large for a marathoner. Mm-hmm. But like as a freshman in high school, grade nine, I was teeny tiny, a four foot 11, like 90 pounds soaking wet. Wow. So just like an absolute tiny kid. And a sport that doesn't discriminate against your size would be cross country. So I joined the cross country team in high school and it wasn't an immediate like success story. It's not like one of those things where it's like, and he, he was born to run and he just immediately like took off and was, was elegant moving. No, I I struggled. (laughs) I, I was average at best. And, uh, I just kind of learned to love the process of getting better at running and had some good friends on the team that made it so that I could enjoy that process even more, even when I wasn't seeing immediate success. And I'm a pretty driven individual. And I think starting running was something that, you know, at the time it wasn't a passion. It was just like, I'm just doing this thing so I can be a part of something for the high school. And then by the end of a, a year of school, I was like, yeah, I kind of like it and I'm kind of getting good. And then I tried it again another year and then it kind of took off from there. It took me about a year of doing it for it to finally look like, okay, maybe I'm talented at this thing. And it really wasn't until the end of grade 10 track season that I was like, okay, now I'm definitely, I'm certain that there's talent here. I'm certain that I'm headed in a good direction. And that's when I feel like it became a realistic opportunity for me to potentially run division one college. Uh, and that, that really motivated me because growing up, all I ever wanted was to be a professional athlete. And I thought that'd be in the NBA or the NFL or something like that, but I just wasn't built for that. But as I grew up and the opportunity was like, Oh, you could maybe be like a, a big D one school recruit in cross country and track. This is pretty cool. And then I started making decisions based on like, well, what, 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 what school could I go to that would set me up to go to the next level? Because that's, you know, as a kid, your dream was to be a professional athlete. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, BYU became that decision because of that very reason. Like I chose BYU because they had a track record, pun intended, <laughs> of sending people to the next level in our sport. So it was, oh. it was a, that was kind of my, my into running progression ramp up. Now, did you, did you recognize your own potential or was there a mentor, a coach, uh, someone putting these thoughts in your head? Like, um, sometimes these programs are conducive to that and they, they foster this type of talent. So it's a natural, not natural progression. Was that the case for you or did you discover these things on your own? Yeah, I had a high school coach that, that was aware of it and we talked to him about you know, running in college. And so it wasn't like 
out of left field. I, I kind of knew what times I needed to run to be a scholarship athlete. And I was running those times pretty early on in high school. Uh, like I said, that's grade 10 year. I showed enough that I had heard that I was on one of the local colleges uh, radars. I was going to high school in Utah at the time. Mm. And I was on the radar of Utah Valley University from what I heard which is like a small division one program right next to where I ended up going to school, BYU. But um, just kind of like hearing that there was interest in me as a, as a sophomore, as a grade 10 athlete, I kind of knew, you know, I got two more years to get better. I, I assume I'll continue to grow because I have been, I just had faith in the, in the trajectory I was headed on. And, and yeah, I, I kind of took it under my own uh, accord to like start trying to be a division one athlete. I was like emailing every college coach in the country. Hey, here, here's who I am. Here are my times. I'd love to run for your team. And I had a lot of good conversations with college coaches due to that. Like I was kind of like a very active self recruiter and I ended up at BYU because it was the best financial and athletic opportunity as well as academic. Obviously I still went to school. So <laughs> that's incredible. It's not, it, it sounds like you're, you're calling should be in sales or something. That's a, uh... It's pretty uh, like ambitious of you as a kid to to send emails like that and you know really you know push it. But I mean, what what more proof do they need? You know that they got the right kid and somebody so driven and motivated that that they hear from them themselves. Yeah, it's crazy though. Like college coaches, they still don't offer scholarships because they see like that potential. Like you know, like you either run the times that are good enough for them to offer you a scholarship or you don't. I had a few programs that were really like like keeping that conversation open in the hopes that I would run faster and then they could offer me a scholarship. But I was a good high school runner, but not like, not like a world beater, not like a national class, like uh, athlete that was garnering like a ton of offers. I was in my, my local area relevant enough that all the schools surrounding knew about me and wanted me on their team. But like nationally, I wasn't going to get a ton of pulls yet. So, and that was kind of my goal. Uh, when I started reaching out to those coaches is I was like, man, I want to go to a big football school, like in the South or something like where, where like, cause I, that was my passion, right? Like I love sports. So I was like, Oh, if I could have gone to like a Alabama or an Ole Miss oh, right. or something like that yeah. in the sec, that would have been cool. But financially, uh, going to those schools was going to be a lot more difficult for my family. So I ended up going to BYU cause it's actually really, really affordable. Okay. Nice. Nice. And so what are your teams? Okay, so I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. This is all really random because I didn't live any place with with a lot of teams. So uh, being from Calgary and raised in Salt Lake, I kind of got my pick. And so Calgary Flames, obviously, um, Baltimore Ravens in in football. In baseball, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. And then in uh, basketball, even though the Utah Jazz are a thing and I lived in Utah for a long time, I'm actually a Denver Nuggets fan, which is, wow. there's, a, there's a story behind that, but I won't bore you with all of the reasons why I'm a fan of all these teams, but it, it, I'm all over the country. and That's incredible. Sporadic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so good. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of boring that way. I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan because I grew up there, but uh, I guess that's the hockey thing, but. Packers yeah. fan, Packers fan, and uh, and Sox also. I like the Sox. So, yeah, I like, go, Packers look good. Packers look good. Yeah, they yeah they do. Well, the Ravens look even better, but yeah, Packers, <laughs> Packers yeah, it's a good, good. It's a good, you caught me on a good year. Yeah, really good. I mean, they look incredible. Lamar looks amazing. Yeah, and yeah I'm a bit scared of San Fran right now, but anyways, 
it's uh, it was fun <laughs> to beat up on Dallas a bit yet again. So, yeah. um, did you always have like a good relationship with running? I know sometimes you run that long, run from that age on, go through the ranks in school. Like, you know, sometimes there's different priorities in life, you know, studying, maybe partying a bit, you know, as we, as we get, you know, go through school and I'm sure it's fine yeah. in the States. Yeah. I would, I would say, yes, I would say like, I am one of the weird people that like loves running so much at this point that like, I've always had a good relationship with it. Now I haven't always had a good relationship with racing because like I said, I kind of lost my swagger there a couple of years back where I was kind of like not performing and, it, racing lost its luster, but I'm back to the point where I feel really good racing. And I've always loved training. I love going out for runs. It's like my peaceful time, you know, no matter what's gone on in my life, you know, highs, lows, I've always felt like running brings me a lot of peace. And, um, I'm really grateful for that. I think it's a very unique sport in that, in that respect. I mean, I'm sure a basketball player feels the same getting up shots at the gym. Um, and you know, I just feel like when I go for a run, like nothing else really matters for that hour, two hours that I'm out there. And that's cool. That's a really cool thing to have in your life is an escape from everything else is just like, Hey, for this, for this little bit of time, all I am is a runner. I'm not a dad, which is what I am, you know, at home. And I'm not, you know, I don't have bills to pay while I'm running or I don't have homework due or whatever was going on in life. Like when you're running, that's, that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Is there something you struggled with while running, maybe that you still struggle with or, um, yeah, are there anything like that? In, in what regard? Like, oh, just like maybe in training or, you know, I mean, when you find the time, cause you have all the time right now, but, um, maybe nutrition or recovery or, you know, stuff like that. Do you, do you have a weakness? Yeah, I, mean, I think the biggest struggle, um, and I've been fortunate is staying healthy though. Like, even though I've been healthy and I've had a good, good, clean bill of health, but like the constant fear and threat of all this could be taken away in a minute, you know, you get that little flare up and you're now on the sideline for a couple of weeks or, or that big race you've been training for is out of the question. Injuries are definitely like a scary, scary part of it. And I, last year I, around this time I was going through a really, really like six month patch of like, I couldn't get my body right. And I was like, I, I, I quite honestly contemplated if I would ever get it right. And it, it wasn't anything super debilitating. I was just dealing with like a little bit of it band syndrome, a little bit of hamstring injury. Like it was just like little things, it was, but it was just like the thorn in your side. It's just like, it wouldn't go away and it didn't feel right. And I just knew I wasn't operating at the level I needed to as a professional athlete, as someone aspiring for world-class performance, like 1% change in your efficiency or 2% change in your efficiency is the difference between making teams, not making teams, making podiums, not making podiums, running personal bests, not running personal bests. So mm -hmm. I would say like, that's the scariest thing is like doing everything you can to, to keep doing it. Really. It's just like the only threat here is, is the threat of it not existing anymore <laughs> and not yeah. being able to do it. So and and sounds like you have like you're grateful for that too. So that's that's that all helps. Where would you say you saw the greatest improvement in your running? You know, because sometimes we hit these plateaus. Um, is there something that you can you can speak to? Yeah, yeah. So like I alluded to earlier, I was a a good high school runner, but I was not a great high school runner, like by any means. 
Um, in the U.S., a lot of your measures of success in high school are based on things like state championships and making it to Foot Locker, Nike Nationals. Like, there's all these like meets. You know, it's be similar to like as a growing up in Canada, making a, a World Junior team or something. Like, there's all these steps you can take to prove like, hey, I'm on track to be really good at this sport. Mm-hmm. I didn't have those things in high school. I had like the step below, like I could see it, but I wasn't there, you know? And then in college, uh, my second year, I kind of just blossomed. Like, uh, as an 18, 19 year old runner, I went from being a good high school runner, good enough to get recruited to, I'm like pretty good as a college athlete. Like I made it to the NCAA championship as a freshman, which was a redshirt freshman, but it was really rare. I think I was one of three freshmen in the 5k, my, my, my first year that I made it. And then I was an NCAA runner up at one point. So I was making podiums at NCAA championships. So that was like the biggest jump. And I think the reason for that is simple. It's just like, I took a huge leap in quality of, of training when I went from high school to college, like these high school kids now, I swear are training at like professional athletes. Like it's Mm -hmm. like crazy. I was doing the most simple elementary running approach possible. And so when I went to college and had this guidance that was very high level, I, I blossomed really quick. Like it took a, it took a year to kind of like get used to the stimulus. And then like, I just took off and you know, you can only really do that one time. Cause once you start training for real, that's it. You're training for real and you can take little steps, but that was the big one. It was like a huge improvement. Like I was able to do things I never thought I could do, um, in a very short period of time. So I think that's simply just a total change in coaching slash environment that I was in for training. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the kids now, like how, how do you feel like the culture has changed, um, in general, or maybe for the better or, or maybe for the worst, do you think it's too much now what they're, what they're making the kids go through or, um, no, like, no, it's, it's just different. It's not too much. I think, there was a lot of stigma when I was in high school around oh, un, like you can't overtrain these high school kids. Like they're going to, they're going to burn out. There's, there's all this like fear mongering of like burnouts. And I just think that's, that's a load of crap to be honest. Like if a kid wants to work hard, which I did in high school and my coach was like, pull the reins back, pull the reins back. And yeah, it was a blessing in disguise because it got me where like I ended up getting where I needed to go. Right. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these high school kids under the right guidance can get way higher peaks in high school and give themselves more opportunities in the future. Like being good in high school is not a curse. (laughs) It gets you to the big schools, the good schools, the schools you want to go to, it gets you scholarships, gets you NIL deals. Now gets you all this exposure to really cool experiences. So I'm totally all for these kids training hard. I just think, you know, my path was very different than that, but like, I see some of the stuff that the, like the Lex Leo and Nico young were doing in high school. And like, they're trying to break four and like their workouts are so impressive. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is a high, high level workout. Like you guys are spiked up doing four hundreds hard, doing all this like ladder stuff, like things that were just like concepts. I didn't even understand until second year in university. So it's just a total different beast as far as like the level of training that they're doing Mm -hmm. and the knowledge in training that they have at that age. And I think that that's a good thing. Like you would look at Jakob Ingebrigtsen, the best runner in the world at this moment, in my opinion, he had a very, very, very aggressive 
youth development, right? Like he was running at a very high level at 15, 16, 17 years old, and he's the best in the world right now. So like, are you really going to tell us that that's the wrong way to do it? Cause he's having a lot of success and you know, who knows his longevity, but it looks sustainable at this point. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm not, I'm not against it. I just think there was a, there was a weird stigma when I was coming up, uh, about how you should train younger athletes. And now I think there's a little bit more aggression in the way that we're training our, uh, our youth aggression. I like that. That's great. Um, but it's like, I think too, the resources are there now for these programs that maybe they weren't before. And maybe like track and field hasn't gotten the attention or the funding even, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming that, you know, hockey programs and basketball programs and football programs get more money and better coaching and all that, where maybe track and field is a bit later to the game. So I guess that progression makes sense. Maybe it's just catching up now, but the kids can, they can practice twice a day. They can, they're, they're resilient, pretty resilient. And if you like, look at a hockey player, their programs now, you know, summer camp and, you know, playing in the season and weight training and all the things that they put in, it's just evolved maybe to that point now, you know, where it's a bit more like, yep. it's going to have, it's going to have a Netflix series, soon, <laughs> the, the track and field world, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I think that we are like when I was in high school, how would you know what a professional runner does for yeah. their workouts unless yeah. you really wanted to seek it out? But now I feel like it's in your face. You can see it and you can see it very easily. It's very accessible. So, uh, education is accessible in the sport and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I, I wish I would have known what I know now a little bit younger. Like I'm glad I went on the path I went on, but I have no doubt that I like left time on the table earlier in my career, um, mm-hmm. multiple times just because of a lack of knowledge, but Hey, uh, the growth mindset and trajectory took me, you know, further and further and you know, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at, obviously. So it is one of those things where you're like, huh, I wonder how good I could have been at this age. Had I known what I know now or known what they know now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I got on skates at 12. I mean, just cause I asked my dad to put me in hockey, but I mean, if he put me in on, if he put me on skates at four, you know, it would have been, maybe it would have been much better, but anyways, uh, yeah. it's one of those things. Um, did you ever think that you would get to the marathon? I know sometimes when you run in school, shorter distances, you can't really see that distance in your future, but was that something that always intri- interests you? Yeah, I would say by the time I was in college, it was something on the on my mind uh, pretty early, way earlier than most. Uh, not because I was like convinced that I was a marathoner, but I was very, I had a lot of admiration for the event. And at the time, one of my running mentors and, you know, people I idolized was Jared Ward, who was a US Olympian in 2016, which was when I was about I was 20 years old at the time and I was just becoming great at, at college running. And this was my, my mentor and he was getting sixth at the Olympics and doing amazing things in the marathon. And I was like, his life's pretty cool. Like marathoning is pretty cool. The, the races he goes to the opportunities he's afforded because of it, it just seemed like a really, really, uh, attractive Avenue to go. And I started following it and became a fan of it. So I just was like, oh, the Boston Marathon's on. I'm going to watch it. If the New York Marathon's on, I'm going to watch it. And I started watching marathons and was like, I really like this event. I like watching it. I like 
learning about it and I want to do it. So I did it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You got to do more and think less, you know, it's like, yeah, that's amazing. How'd you get connected with Ward? Yeah, he went to BYU. So he, he's trained by, he's still being coached by my college coach at iStone. So Jared was around my entire college career, you know, doing his thing. And every now and then we'd, tr we'd work out together because it overlapped. And so, I, yeah, he just, he was a, he's a really good guy. And he just took an interest in me as a young athlete. And I was a big fan of his. So got to watch him be spectacular. What's the, what's the biggest lesson that he's taught you? Would you say? Hmm. I feel like he's, he, he didn't really, it's not something he said. It's, it's, he was more of a teacher by action. And I feel like he was just a gamer. Like it didn't matter how his build went, how his training was going. Like he was going to show up to the start line, believe in himself and compete. And that's a very admirable trait to be like a competitor, like someone who elevates themselves on race day. Um, I think I'm finally getting there, but I think it took me a longer time to, to get there. You know, like I think in the last two years, I've really started to see that, that come to fruition. And it's a, it's really like a superpower to just like be on the start line and be like, Hey, if I'm fit, I'm going to run well. Like, it's like, it's not like this up in the air thing. Like, Oh, did I prepare? Right. Am I ready? It's like, no, if I'm here, I'm here. Like I'm on the start line. I'm ready to race. Do you remember your first marathon? Yes. It was Toronto in 2019, October, yeah. 2019 in Toronto. And what was that like for you? Was it? Was kind of everything you thought it was harder than i could have imagined um i was scared of it like like most people are the first time they do it i had a respect for it but i also thought like hey how bad could it be you know um and it was as bad as i could have imagined as far as like <laughs> the pain you you go through to get to the finish line so um i remember running through 25k and being like wow i'm in a lot of pain right now and i've got you know, eight, 17 K to go. And that's a long, long time for someone fresh out of college. My race was the 10 K and the five K in college. I haven't even hit 10 K to go and I'm already hurting. So I have in theory, I haven't even started what I used to race and mm -hmm. I'm already deep in a hole. So that's the biggest memory I have is just the immense pain it took to just finish the race and, and keep moving forward. And yet you still wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I took a little bit of time between my first and second. I ran, I think it was 14 months later that I ran my second one. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't like, I just jumped right back in like six months later or anything, but I, I definitely wasn't deterred like, Oh, but after three or four, cause I didn't, I didn't figure out the marathon until like my fourth one, I think fourth or fifth. Um, I was not sure if I could do it. Like after three, I was like, man, I just, I have not hit this thing right yet. So I don't know if I'm, if it's, if it's my race or not. Now I kind of feel confident, like, oh, I know how to race this. Like, even though I haven't run like a crazy time yet, anything that, you know, I think is like what I'm capable of, I've at least executed marathons well enough that I'm like, okay, I know how to, I can run a marathon. There was a time where I was like, can I, my body even physically race for that long? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that feeling. It's funny. It's funny to hear you say it because it's like I always, I always wonder like how do you feel like you could be relatable with just about anybody, you know? But it's, I think it's just all relative, you know. You're running a lot faster than everybody else, but 
you know, I feel that pain. I felt that pain. You know, I've run, yeah, I think over 10 now, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, co- I coach quite a few sub elite marathoners and BQ guys and stuff like that. That's kind of something I do as a side hustle. And I was just having this conversation with an athlete and he was talking about how, cause he ran Houston as well. And he was talking about how it just didn't feel good early. And I was like, man, let me tell you something. It didn't feel good early for me. Like sometimes I think there's this misconception that as you get faster, it gets easier. And I would say that's so far from the truth. I would kill for what it used to feel like to race because it, I feel like I've just gotten better at hurting. Like I just hurt more now because I I've like gotten fit enough to suffer for longer. Like <laughs> more fitness equals the ability to hurt for longer periods of time. That's what I see it as at this point. Yeah. It's not like running has gotten easier because I've gotten fitter. The same paces would be easier, but now I'm just pushing, pushing further. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just keep pushing the pace for longer and longer. Yeah. I get it. I get that. Yeah. Where if you're not used to it, you just kind of want, you slow down earlier and, and all that. So, um, I wanted to talk to you like about the, the Olympic dream. Um, now you entered into the marathon and was that always something in your sights? I know that you're entering your next race, trying to hit the standard. I'd like to talk about that a little bit and what the standard means, you know, in, in terms of selections. Yeah. So Obviously, like the Olympics are the Super Bowl, uh, to use another sport analogy, of our sport. It's the biggest stage. There's no stage where people care more about how you do if you were there. Like as a professional runner, it almost seems like your existence isn't valid if you don't have the title Olympian next to your name. And that's like an unfortunate truth of of our sport is there's a lot of good runners that never make Olympic teams. But the casual fan knows us by what they see in the summer games. So for me, of course, that's been like the vision the whole time is like, how do I make an Olympic team? How do I make an Olympic team? And quite honestly, the marathon is the best option for me because I a, am better at that race and B, um, I think the marathon gives people that aren't naturally like super, super fast and another opportunity to like, just be tough and just make it off of like, getting like working really, really hard. Like, could I have maybe made a Olympic team in the 5k or 10k? Yeah, I think, I think there's a chance, but like, I was so much more attracted to the, to the marathon because of the fact that I felt like there was this like glory to be had if you just hit it right. Like there, like anything can happen in the marathon. Like it's such a, uh, such a, a, a different beast. Um, so I was really attracted to that. Like, it's like this, the, the, the heights you can reach in the marathon, it felt like there was less of a ceiling on that. Like in the 5k or 10k, I, I kind of thought like I had a lid on my, on my, my ceiling. And I think in the marathon, like I just can see the, the, the possibilities are, are more endless for me. So that's why that marathon and the Olympics for the marathon is, is where my focus is at. And would you say like now the half time that you had gives you the confidence to go in and try and run that standard? Is that, was that kind of the purpose of the Houston race to kind of, yeah, the purpose there's, it was twofold. It was twofold. Um, number one was it's good to get a race stimulus in. Um, it's just a healthy thing to just remember how to race and hurt racing hurts way more than training. You, you fight through more things that you wouldn't fight through in a workout. If I felt 
you know, the amount of doubt I had on Sunday at like 10 K in a workout, I probably would have been like, ah, today's not the day. Like, let's just reassess like what the workout should be and how we should approach this. But in the race, you're like, I'm going, going to the end until I crack. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it's, it's confirming like, oh, I can feel weird, feel bad and keep going and have a good day. So it's good to, to, to get that in your head a month out from the marathon. You know, if, if I don't feel good at 20 K, I can still make it to the end and, and run a good race. But, um, yeah, uh, it does give me confidence to run 6102. Uh, I think it just shows I'm in good shape. You can't fake, uh, a PB, you, you know, that means I'm the best I've ever been at this point, uh, in this event. So I feel like if I can't do it now, then it's like, you know, I'm in the best shape I've been in. So I have the best chance right now. So I'm, 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 I'm hot when it counts. Right. So I'm, I'm in the right form at the right time. Uh, we're four and a half weeks out right now from Seville and I only have a few more key workouts, stay healthy, you know, hit these last few, build some confidence, build some more callousing in the legs and, and you know, the possibilities are endless. So mm-hmm. I do feel good about it. And the second part to why I run Houston is points. So I, I know you uh, wanted to know what the selection criteria would be for um, the Olympics. And it is not simple, but it is just like basically put together two of your best races possible in the window for ranking. And then also the standard. So there's two ways you can make the team. You can make the team on ranking or on standard. And the easiest way is to just hit the standard. You hit the standard, you're pretty much guaranteed a spot at this point. I, I'm not going to say it's impossible that two other Canadians other than Cam Levins would bump me back. Uh, there's guys running well, like Ben Preisner, Tristan Woodfine is doing Boston. So he's, he can't run the time, but he could get top five at Boston and, and lock up a spot. But there's a couple other people, Trevor Hoffbauer, Justin Kent. Anyways, I could list, there's, there's yeah. good runners that, that are going to be going after it. But I feel confident that, hey, if I run the standard, I should be on this team. So that's the safe bet. And the backup plan is to be ranked high enough to be selected, which actually the last two world championship teams I made were on rankings, not on standards. So it is very doable. It's just not the comfortable way to do it because you wait till the window closes and you don't know if you're going until that moment, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's... The the comforting thing would be to hit the standard and be like, holy, sh- I'm going to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. But the less comforting thing would be to run like 208.40 or 209 flat and be like, well, if the Olympics cutoff was tomorrow, I'd make it. But I got to wait till April 30th, till everyone else has tried and then see if I'm still in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's so interesting. And I don't know if a lot of people understand like fully how it works, you know, like. I know in the States it's different, you know, they want, they run the trial race. And then similarly, I think you can almost have a spot locked up before that race even begins. But like I mentioned to you before this conversation, I spoke to CJ and then I spoke to him like between his two marathons and didn't know, I don't think he told anyone that he was actually racing the following weekend in Mexico and then ends up running a time that puts him in a better spot to, to lock up a position. But I know that yeah. those two standards are, are different. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's the B standard and the A standard, but like really the A standard is the only one that gives you any sort of guarantees in this world. Mm-hmm. So So what do you think your chances are? Like running the half the way you did, like is there theoretically would you say is like you're going to run similar to that? We run a few minutes off of that. Like what what do you think is realistic or what have you yeah, I mean, I've I've thought I could run the standard before. In Budapest, I really believe I was in f- fitness to run close to the standard if the weather was good. Mm-hmm. I was like going into that race saying, "Oh man, if we get lucky and if we get a cold front and it's perfect weather, I can do it." Because that training was good, and this training's been better. So, mm-hmm. do I think I can do it? Absolutely, but I have to respect the race and the distance and the fact that there's one day you, you don't get like, I don't get 10 chances at this. If yeah. I did, if I could try 10 times, I think I'd make it. But like, that's the, that's what makes it so hard is you got to do it on the day. I might have two chances. I, I don't have 10, right? <laughs> like yeah. there's no way. So I might have, if I don't hit it here, I might be able to readjust, re-aim my, my focus at something else. But this is a good chance because like I said, I'm healthy, I'm in good shape and things are trending in the right direction with the half this last weekend um i think it's very doable it's not it's not easy it's it's very difficult so it's going to take it's going to take me being on my a game and the day being a good day for it mm-hmm. and i was going to ask you too like when you have that kind of back to back racing you know a short window between what's the is the focus more just the more key, like key workouts and less volume to give yourself enough time to recover or do you kind of like you were saying, you kind of just work that into the training plan and then to, towards the marathon. I'll probably do my highest volume of my build the next two or three weeks. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of broke up this block like in phases. Uh, the first phase was speed development where I did the mile in indoors where I broke four in December. Then I kind of started doing more marathon specific work and half marathon specific work building towards Houston. And then now it's like, let's make sure our legs are calloused for the marathon for the full distance. Cause I do feel like I'm in great half shape and I'm very like fit and fast right now. But the final piece is like, can I get my legs ready to run two hours and eight minutes at this pace? Mm -hmm. Uh, So now it's like, let's throw a, a lot of fatigue on the legs, hit these workouts and then rest up and go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, cool. I was just curious how that how that works, but that's uh, awesome. And I think like you're on the right path. It certainly sounds like it. Um, yeah, wishing you all the best for for that race over in Seville. That's gonna be exciting to watch, and hopefully you make the standard. So that's that's pretty sick. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, hopeful. I, I saw it too, like on social, like you paced a few. Well, you've paced like an elite female from the U.S., uh, Molly. Um, Molly Seidel and like, just wanted to know, you know, why, why do you do that? You know, I read in the post, like it's a nice experience to, to be able to do that. But I just wanted to know, like, you know, the why for you or the benefit for you. If I'm being completely honest, it's financial. Uh. So it, it was a cool experience, but I, it's a good, easy way to make money as a, as a professional runner. So yeah. Uh, they pay pacers. And if I can do a pace job as a workout and get paid to do it and get a fun experience and have 
you know, that atmosphere in, in, in a workout, then absolutely let, let's bring it on. So that was pretty much the thought process was like, Hey, I got an, I got a email or a text from my agent saying Chicago's looking for a pacer for this group. Would you be interested? And I said, yes. And then I we get a contract. It's basically like, uh, Hey, go this far. You get paid this much kind of thing. Like help, help us run fast. That's what they're, that's the, that's the whole whole system. So, Hey, I mean, that's, that's more power too. You got to get paid. Right. And like, there's yep. different ways to do it. And like, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, people posting more on social and stuff like that, but I appreciate your honesty, but like, was that, was that like, must've been fun though, to, to be able to do that. Is it tricky too? Cause you're dealing with another professional that maybe you don't know super well, or maybe you know her, I'm not sure. She lives in Flagstaff. She's a Puma athlete. Yeah. We've, we've, we've interacted a, a, a fair bit. So I knew her well enough and it was honestly a really cool bonding experience. And like, I did learn a little bit like from her cause I could just tell she was just absolutely dialed in and just being a gamer and just grinding it out. So I was like, it was like almost like a front row seat to watch someone who's spectacular at their craft. She's a bronze medalist at the Olympic games. So right, yeah. for me to watch what she was able to do, you know, front, front row seat and kind of be a small piece of her success on that day, her personal best, you know, a stepping stone for her towards making another Olympic team. It was really cool. I mean, I would do it again in a heartbeat. I've paced uh, men in the marathon before too. Uh, I've paced track races. I've paced a good a, a good bit just for for like I said, financial reasons and also just like a workout. It sometimes it's good. So, mm-hmm. um, it's cool. It's really cool, and I would do it. I would do it again for sure. So nice. I uh, wanted to ask you, like, where would you rank like all the things that go into marathon running or making a good athlete? from sleep nutrition volume like all the things that that you do like how would you rate those things in terms of what gives you the best output yeah um health number one so staying healthy now there's a million ways to stay healthy but that's the number one the best ability is availability is or durability (laughs) in uh, our sport so um whatever helps you stay healthy. So for me, that's strength work, that's physio work, that's uh, just being on top of my stuff, sleeping, eating. Yeah, I'm a big believer. Like I I say this kind of knowing that it's hyperbolic and not necessarily 100% true, but it is, I do believe there to be some truths in it. It's, there's no such thing as overtraining, just under fueling. And um, you gotta eat, you gotta eat a lot of food to to, to train a lot. So I I look at those two things as, they, they play with each other. Like the more I eat, the more I can train, the more I can train healthily. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's one big component of nutrition for me is calories in like we can get cute with it try to be super healthy, clean eating. And I've done that before and I try to be pretty good, but like more important to me is like, let's put in some calories and make sure that my body's never had a calorie deficit. Cause that's when it's susceptible to injury. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they can see this, but I've got a insure plus, uh, this is 350 calories. I'm just drinking right now just to get more (laughs) calories in my body. And this is like a common occurrence for me. So, um, is that what they give old people or (laughs) yes, it is. It's an old people shake. So, um, and it's full of like a bunch of little micronutrients too. So like, I don't know, it kind of helps you cross your T's and dot your I's as well. So not that that's the reason why I do it, but, um, 
yeah, so number one, health. So availability and health is the, is very important. And then number two is like attitude. I mean, I've seen so many talented people like waste away because of self-doubt, because of negativity, because of fear. Uh, so the mental makeup of an athlete is pretty important. Like I think talent is great, but like if you don't know how to like show up every day, happy to be there, happy to do your job, motivated, excited, you're probably not going to get very far. You know, there's plenty of people that are more talented than me that haven't accomplished the things I've done. And I think in large part, my success has been built upon the fact that I love what I do. I have a lot of joy, um, in, in what I do. And I, I'm excited when I show up to work, you know, to run, I'm excited to do it every day. You know, not every run I have doubles that I'm like, Oh, got to get out the door for this, this, I'd rather just sit on my couch and eat chips and salsa or something and watch a football game. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a big part of my success is just joy and, and positivity and attitude. And I would just say mental health. So like physical health, mental health, one and two, those are the one and two. And then number three, um, I am a big believer in just training really, really hard. Like, uh, and again, you can't do number three without number one and two being right. So mm -hmm. if you're not healthy and you're not mentally healthy, then you can't do the hard work that you need to do. But those are the big three for me is, uh, being physically healthy, mentally healthy, and then just working extremely hard. Yeah. And, and, and you're saying like your, your schedule is probably working around the playoff schedule right now for the NFL, but, um, it is, <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was interesting. Um, when you're talking about coaching and stuff and, it made me think about what I, what I tell some, when I tell people when they ask me, but like, you know, your race, just could like a training day can go wrong. A race day can go wrong too. It's just one day and you can prepare for that day as much as you want, but sometimes it's not that perfect day that you're looking for and you can still have the, you can have those days in training too. So it's, you know, if you don't know what you're going to get sometimes and that that's part of the sport, you know, it's part of why we do what absolutely. We do. But if you show up physic like physically ready and mentally ready, I think that's, you know, half the battle, right? Um, where do you find balance in your life, you know, outside of running? Like how, how do you balance your life outside so that you can show up your best version of yourself when you get to work? I would say through a lot of distractions and other interests, uh, luckily for me, like finding balance isn't that hard because I'm forced to, because I am a father of two, I'm married. I have other responsibilities that pull me away from running. So I, I have no choice but to find balance in my life because I have other responsibilities. And then also I have a lot of other interests. Uh, like I said, I'm a diehard sports fan and I like to do that kind of stuff. And I'm a social guy. So like for me, the balance hasn't been too, too hard, but I have seen that, that struggle for a lot of athletes and it is easy to get kind of a one track mind and, uh, focus over focus on your, on your sport. But luckily for me, since I became a dad, like that takes a lot of energy and a lot of focus. So it's kind of without having it be the reason it's helped me get, get better at running because I am so compartmentalized from one part of the day to the next because I have to be. Mm -hmm. And did it change? Did it shift your focus a little bit since having kids? Yeah, uh, by force. I have to be present and focused on them. They they require focus. So 
um, before I could just sit around all day and think about my next run. But now I'm, I don't have time to think about that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, uh, I'm grateful for that. Honestly, it, it, sometimes it feels like a bit much. Um, some days you do want to be a vegetable on the couch and just sit back and relax and recover. But, uh, I think that they're a great source of joy in my life and have been able to help me in that, in that regard. Yeah. And the kids, they don't wait for anybody. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's it. Um, what would you say running has brought to your life? Uh, an escape, like I like I alluded to earlier, it's just been a, always been an outlet for me. So a place where I can go be just a runner, just be out there with nature and out in like Flagstaff has so many beautiful places to run. Like when I run in Flagstaff, most of the places I run, I don't see a person, a car. I'm just literally in the trees and on the dirt and with my dog or whatever. It just feels very, very primal and like reconnecting to my roots. And that's, it's very, I think it's very, very good for my mental and physical health. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and that's the case for many people too, right? Like it just gives them that clearance in their mind, allows them to break free of everyday life or responsibilities and I think that's great. Um, what's some advice you would give to somebody looking to get into the sport or take on the next distance? You know, um, you've probably learned so much over your career. Um, I recently started uh, coach. Well, a year ago, I started coaching my brother-in-law through running, and he had never run before. Zero, zero running background. He's was 30 years old when he decided he was into it. And I think I learned a little bit about that experience through him, someone just like starting. And I think it's super simple. Like, it's just like going out and running. Like, it's just like starting. It's just having fun with it and being curious and learning and, and not being afraid to take chances and fail and, and, uh, talking to people. I always found like, I was a good question asker to people that had experienced more than I had experienced and done more than I had done. So asking questions and being willing to try things is very, very important skill to growth. Yeah. You got to be curious, right. To, to learn and grow. And yeah, maybe you think, you know, everything that's kind of when you're, when you get stuck. So yeah, that's uh, that's great advice for sure. Now we want to see your best uh, Raven dance uh, before we go here, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, dirty bird. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we're, I, we're can, <laughs> wish them the best of luck too, but where, where can people find out more about you, uh, Rory? Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty online. Um, by design because of my profession. Uh, so I'm on Instagram, Rory underscore link letter. I'm on Twitter or X, I guess is what it is at, uh, at the Papa links. Um, <laughs> and then I'm on, uh, YouTube, um, and Strava. Those are kind of, those are kind of my new two favorites. Cause I just started doing YouTube and it's been a fun way to show more of my personality than I can let on in just Instagram or, or Twitter. Um, I think YouTube long form content is like really, uh, I can, I can tell a little bit more about myself and I'm excited about that. So Rory Linkletter on YouTube and then Strava, I'm a, I'm a Strava. If it ain't on Strava, it didn't happen guys. So <laughs> find me on Strava, Rory Linkletter as well. So those are, I would say that's where you can find me and learn more about me. Yeah. I love that piece that you put out, um, kind of announcing your, your marathon 
your next marathon in Seville and like any plans for the comeback on the podcast? No, I don't think so. Just because uh, me and my friend that we're doing it together uh, over the t- over those years have both kind of entered a new phase of our life. I he got married. I, I had a second kid. Um, we used to be teammates. Now we're not. And I think I've kind of shifted that that energy I would put into the podcast into my YouTube. Um, so I think if I if I tried to podcast at this point, I'd be biting off way more than I can chew. And <laughs> I think that I. I I know better than to do that at this point. Yeah. Well, I, I, anyways, any kind of content that pro athletes put out, I always appreciate. Uh, I love, I love hearing the the thought process and the the journey that you guys go through. And hopefully, there'll be a lot more of that coming with um, the trial. The hopefully you hit that standard and and make that a Canadian uh, Olympic team. So I want to thank you, Rory, for taking the time out of your your busy training schedule and and your parenting schedule too. Um, it was a pleasure speaking with you and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, appreciate you having me on and excited to see how people respond to this. I hope that they like it. Me, me too. I'll let you know for sure. Take care. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to the Just In Stride podcast. I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen and I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please take a minute after this to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. With your feedback, we'll be able to make the show even better, and it'll help us reach new listeners too. You can also find us on Instagram at JustInStridePod for all the latest episodes and updates. Of course, this show wouldn't be possible without a solid team behind me, with logo and design by Vanessa Pugliese, as well as audio, music, and editing by Forrest McKay. A huge thank you goes out to both of them. Guest outreach, social media, writing, and advertising are handled by me, your host, Justin Pugliese. Finally, we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for coming along for the ride with Justin Stride.